Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are so excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our study through the New Testament book of James. If you're joining us for the first time, I wanna be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Do us a favor and text NEW TO HOPE to 94090. After you hit send, you'll get an immediate response from our team with a link to a short form you can fill out so that we can get to know you better. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. April the 23rd, 1985 is a day that I will never forget. I was an eighth grade student, just about to finish my eighth grade year, getting ready to go into high school. And April the 23rd, 1985, there was an announcement made that for the first time in the 99-year history of the Coca-Cola company, they were changing the formula of Coca-Cola. How many of you were alive and remember April 23rd, 1985, that infamous, horrific, horrendous day when Coca-Cola announced they were changing a 99-year-old formula? I guess they'd never heard Yogi Berra saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? And what was introduced on that day was what we were all supposed to fall in love with called New Coke. I'm going to put a picture of the New Coke can up here, right? We even see it and it just makes us feel uncomfortable. What Coca-Cola thought was going to revitalize their company in the war of soda between them and the Pepsi-Cola company turned out to do just the opposite. After that day, Coca-Cola created a firestorm of American response. People all over the nation began to revolt. If you were alive and remember it, you remember seeing it. It was the lead news story every day. There were protests in the streets. Thousands of people every day were calling the Coca-Cola company. And that, that infamous decision lasted for 79 days. At the end of 79 days, Peter Jennings on ABC News did a news break. He broke into the middle of a show and said, we have an update. And here was the quote. The old taste of Coca-Cola is coming back. And all of us together say, amen. We're glad that it did. We wanted the real thing, right? The sad reality is. That although people will not stand for less than the real thing when it comes to our soda, we are more than content to settle for less than the real thing when it comes to our worship. Unfortunately, the church in America is filled with people that are going through the motions of religion. But their hearts are very far from the real thing. Authentic, genuine worship. If you're visiting with us, we are studying together 
straight through the New Testament letter written by the half-brother of Jesus, a man named James. And this weekend, we're bringing the, the, the first chapter of that letter to a close. And James, in the last two verses of that chapter, is addressing this idea of what the real thing looks like. If you got your Bible, I want you to open it to James chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. Here's what he said. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James begins to address this idea of what he calls here pure and undefiled religion. It's a, it's a word that we throw around in our culture. It's a word that people are very familiar with, the word religion. But obviously, what the, the New Testament, the Bible was originally written in the Greek language. Translators have translated that into English and selected words that they think best represent the words in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in. And the Greek word that is translated here, religion, is a unique Greek word. It's not used very often in Scripture at all. And so it's a difficult word to translate into English. And I think, for the case of what we're reading here in James... The word religion is not the best word to translate this particular word. And the reason is because we've attached so much cultural baggage to the word religion. When we even hear the word religion, religion today is not thought of positively. Religion is thought of negatively. And the reason is because many of us, when we think about the word religion, here's the way most people would define it. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Religion, the way most people define it, I'm not saying this is what James is saying, but most people in our culture would say it's the outward expression of an inward determination in an attempt to earn God's grace in their lives. Religion is the outward expression of an inward determination to try to earn God's favor. It's what we do religiously to try to earn God's acceptance of us. Many people see religion as a vehicle through some do's and don'ts to try to earn a right standing with God. They go to church, they read their Bible, they pray, they give money, they practice the ordinances, they try to be a good person. All of these things are done as the outward expression of an inward determination to try to earn the grace of God in our lives. Now, here's why that's a bad usage of this word in this text. Because there's nothing you and I can ever do to earn God's grace and God's favor in our lives. 
There's nothing we can ever do to earn a right standing before God. Listen, you can come to church every day of the week. You can get baptized until you're as wrinkled as a California raisin. You can memorize the entire Bible. And none of that earns you a right standing before God. The truth of the gospel is only Jesus can make us right with God. Only what Jesus did on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection can give us us by faith and through grace a right relationship with God. So the word religion here understood as an outward expression of inward determination in an attempt to earn God's favor and grace in our lives is a bad understanding of this word. The word that James uses here I think is best translated as worship. Worship. And when you understand authentic worship, let me give you a definition of authentic worship. Authentic worship is the outward expression of inward devotion that reveals God's grace through our lives. Worship is not my attempt to earn God's grace. Worship is my response to having experienced God's grace in my life. Listen, we're here today as an outward expression of worship. A moment ago, we were singing and people's hands were raised and they were celebrating the goodness of God. Were we doing that trying to earn God's favor? No, we were doing that because we've experienced the grace of God in our lives. And as we lifted our hands, as we lifted our voices, we were celebrating the grace of God in our lives. And as Grace was being evidenced in and through our lives as an act of worship. Authentic worship is what spills out of our lives as a result of God's gracious acceptance of us in Christ. So understanding that, let me me read James chapter 1 again, and I want to substitute some different words in here. If anyone thinks himself to be an authentic worshiper, That's really what James is saying here with that word religious. If anyone thinks himself to be an authentic worshiper and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's worship is worthless. Pure and undefiled worship in the sight of our God and Father is that to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from evil. That's what James is talking about. What does real, authentic worship look like? So here's the point. The experience of the grace of God in our lives always results in the expression of the grace of God through our lives towards others. What James is teaching us here is that real worship, once we've experienced the grace of God in salvation, and let me just stop right there and say this. If you're here today, if you're watching online today, and you don't have a relationship with God, listen, there's no motion, no ceremony, no ritual you can go through or perform that's going to earn you a right standing before God. Salvation, the grace of God is experienced when we realize there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. The only thing we can do is throw ourselves on the mercy and grace of God who's made a provision in Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection to forgive us our sins and to bring us by grace into a right relationship with God. But once we've done that, 
Once we've by faith surrendered ourselves to Jesus and Jesus has made us right with God, the experience of God's grace in our lives always results in the expression of God's grace through our lives towards others. Meaning that real worship is going to change my marriage. Real worship is going to change the way I relate to my kids. Real worship, the real thing, it's going to change the way I relate to coworkers and bosses and employees at the job. Real worship is going to change the way I relate to my neighbors who live beside me. Let me try to help you see it. I want to show you what's called conduit. Anybody in the field of construction knows what conduit is? Conduit is a pipe or a tube through which something passes. There's there's conduit all over this building. When we built this new worship center, we had to purchase over 71,000 feet of conduit. While you're sitting in that comfortable chair, somewhere underneath you or above you, there is running over a half a million dollars worth of conduit. And conduit is designed for something to pass through it. If it's like this kind of conduit, it's typically water that is passing from one place to another through the conduit. If it's like this, it's usually electricity or wiring that is going through that conduit. Here's what I'm wanting you to see. Our lives are to be conduit. Through which the grace of God flows freely. You see, we experience God's grace in our lives. It's God's grace that makes us right with Him. It's God's grace, God's grace that brings us into relationship with Him. But now that we know Him, that grace is flowing through our lives and impacting the lives of others. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. We're not going to be perfect. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about pattern. The pattern of our lives is now that you and I, whether we're at church, whether we're at school, whether we're at the ball field, whether we're at Walmart, whether we're working at the job, our lives have become conduit where the grace of God that we've experienced is fleshed out through our lives and channeled to others so that they can experience the grace of God. Now, you've heard me say this before, I'm not all the man that I'm supposed to be. But the point of this is I'm not the man that I used to be. I'm being changed through a life of worshiping the living God. And here's what James is saying. If what you're calling worship isn't spilling out of us a changed life, then what we're calling worship is worthless. Let that sink in for a second. If what we're calling worship isn't spilling out of us in a changed life, if God's grace is not being allowed to flow through us to impact the lives of others the way we relate to other people, James says our worship is worthless. That word worthless that James uses means useless or void of significance. It means empty, meaning this, you can go through all the motions of church. But if it's not coming out of me as a changed life where the grace of God is flowing through my life, then what I've really got is not the real thing. 
One writer, D. Edmund Haber, said it this way. A professed Christianity that centers on the external expressions of faith. Attendance at worship, wrote prayers, church membership, participation in the ordinances, but is devoid of the regenerating power of the gospel, is as futile and unprofitable as idol worship. Meaning this, you can come sit down in a nice church and listen to a preacher preach and sing Christian songs, or you can go worship some idol in a temple somewhere. But if it's not real, authentic, genuine worship that's spilling out of your lives... It's not the real thing. Let me say it another way. If the God I worship is not a God who is changing my life, then the God I worship is not the God of the Bible, but rather a convenient God of my own making that's an emotional security blanket for coping with life. And James says that worship is worthless. And that's what we have all across the church in America. People that have created a convenient God who fits in their pocket to meet their needs. And it's not producing a radical change life on the outside. And what James says is we've settled for something less than the real thing and it's worthless. So, what does authentic worship look like? How high I raise my hands at church. How many Bible verses I can quote? How many small groups I go to? No, listen, all of that can be an expression of authentic worship. But James points out three things that, for lack of a better way to say it, get in our business. Everybody everybody ready to be made a little uncomfortable? James... Gets down to where the rubber meets the road. It's easy to talk about singing the songs. It's easy to talk about going to the small group. James says, let's get down to the real stuff. And he gives us three. And listen, this is not an exhaustive list. It's a sampling of what authentic worship looks like. So let me give you the first one. Authentic worship is revealed in the things I say. (laughs) Look back at James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and what we said that meant. Give me verse 26 up here. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, if anyone thinks himself to be an authentic worshiper, and yet he does not bridle his tongue. Meaning, we can come to church, we can be the loudest singer, we can have our hands raised the highest, we can go to 22 small groups, we can sign up to serve on every ministry team. But here's what James said. If it doesn't change the way you speak to other people, it's not the real thing. The word James uses here is the word tongue. Now, when James uses the word tongue, he's using it metaphorically. It's not literally talking about that piece of flesh in our mouth. He's talking about what we use our tongues to do. The word tongue in the New Testament refers to speech or language or, in its broadest sense, human communication. James says, if you want to know if what you got is the real thing, here's the question to ask yourself. Is my worship changing the way I communicate with other people? 
Can other people see in the way I communicate with them that God is changing my life and my life is a conduit of His grace? As we study through James together, we're going to find that James has a lot to say about the tongue. As a matter of fact, there are five chapters in the book of James. In all five chapters, he addresses the way we communicate with each other. And chapter 3, almost the whole chapter is about the tongue. Why does James talk so much about the tongue? Here's why. Communication with words is a major part of our lives as human beings. There's been a recent study done that revealed that on average, Americans, or human beings rather, speak about 16,000 words per day. Now, on average, you may have come here with somebody who's a little above average. Maybe you're sitting with somebody you would consider to be a little below average, and you'd like them to... But but the bottom line is, on average... About 16,000 words per day that we speak. That's enough words to fill the average book in three days. Meaning if you took all the words that you spoke over the next three days, you'd have a book. If you take all the words that you spoke over the course of a year, you could write 120 books. If you do the math, we will spend 20% of our lives communicating with other people. And James is saying a primary way we express authentic worship is the way we communicate with others. Meaning this, if my heart has truly experienced God's grace, God's grace will be demonstrated in how I communicate with the people in my life. And listen, this isn't new information that James is giving us. You may tell you where James first heard this? From his half-brother Jesus. Jesus, in the sermon, in a sermon that he was preaching in Matthew chapter 15, listen to what Jesus said. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. Here's what he's saying. Authentic worship is revealed in how we communicate with each other. Let me, let me make it real plain. The way you communicate with your family on the way home from church says more about your worship than how loud you sang, how long you prayed, or how many sermon notes you took. Everybody's going to be good on the way home today, right? But that's the truth, right? Listen, James is saying, if I come in here and I'm like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, and I get in the car and all hell breaks loose and it's coming out of my mouth, James said your worship is worthless. Doesn't mean it's not the real thing. We've settled for a cheap substitute, a counterfeit. If my communication doesn't change in my marriage, my communication doesn't change with my children, If tomorrow you go to work and the way you communicate doesn't reveal the fact that you worshipped today. James said something's off in our worship. It's worthless. David Platt said it this way. Don't deceive yourself. When you speak, you tell the truth 
about your heart. I told you, I warned you. He was going to meddle in our business. He uses a powerful picture. He, he talks about bridling the tongue. I'm not a big horse person. My daughter has taken horse riding lessons before, so I know a little bit. But, 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 but a bridle is really made up of two pieces. It's a bit and the reins. The bit goes into the horse of the mouth, and the reins go into the hands of the rider. And with the bit in, the, in, in, that, in that horse's mouth and the reins in the hands of the rider, the horse is now bridled, and the horse can be made with just the slightest adjustment to go any direction the rider wants it to go. James says, we're to bridle our tongue, which means this. We put the bit in our mouth, and we put the reins in the hands of the Holy Spirit of God so that our mouths, the way we communicate, is under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. What does it look like for the things that I say to be under the control of the Holy Spirit? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes about it. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give what? Grace to those who hear You hear it? We're to be conduits of the grace of God in the way that we communicate with other people. And, and, and Paul writes and he says, man, no unwholesome word should ever proceed from your mouth. You say, that's not possible. You're right in your strength. And you're right in my strength. It's not possible for me to do that. But if I put the bit in my mouth and the reins in the hands of the Holy Spirit of God, my life can be a conduit of the grace of God. Will I get it right all the time? No. But even when we get it wrong, you know what a heart of worship does? It leads us to repentance. We go to that person and we make it right. We go to those people that we communicated with wrongly and we make it right. We humble ourselves. And you know what happens when we do that? They experience God's grace. I'll add one application here before we go into the second thing. David Platt said it this way. In a day of text messaging, email, cell phones, Twitter, blogs, Facebook, etc. We need to be careful. That's a good place to say amen. You know what all that is? It's the tongue. It's human communication. We've created an entire culture that says if you have a thought, then you should immediately share it with the rest of the world. But follower of Christ, don't buy that line of thinking. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. And speak in a way that shows your faith is real and the core of your heart belongs to God. I want to put something up here on the screen. I'm not going to leave it here very long. We're not going to teach it, but I've given it to you before. I just want to put it up here so you can take a quick picture of it if you want to see this. But as it pertains to social media, here's four really good guidelines. Check your heart before you start. Pray before you post. Make sure someone you trust has read it before you spread it. And then finally, when in doubt, don't. Just don't. You take a picture of that, you lay that filter down on your usage of Facebook and Twitter and, and all the other texting, cell phone messages, all that stuff. You lay this down on that. Let me tell you what it'll do. It'll take the bit and place it in your mouth and put the hands, put the reins in the hands of the Holy Spirit of God. And here's what James is teaching us. You don't know if you got the real thing. 
is the worship that you express revealed in the way you communicate with other people? Here's the second thing. Authentic worship. Authentic worship is seen in the people I serve. It's revealed in the people I serve. Look what James says next in verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion. Again, let's think about that in the context of worship. Pure and undefiled worship. You want to know what pure worship looks like? In the sight of God, and our, our Father, God, our God and Father. Here's what he says. To visit orphans and widows in their distress. The word distress, it's a strong word in the Greek language. It comes from a verb that means to crush or to squeeze. I want you to take your hands out in front of you like this. I want you to put them together. I want you to squeeze them. Squeeze them tight. That's the verb that this word comes from, to crush or to squeeze. Imagine if you had an egg in there and you squeeze that egg until it just broke and everything comes running out. That's the verb that the word distress comes from. The word distress speaks to people who physically, mentally, socially, or economically, the world has just crushed them. It's pressed them. It's squeezed them. They've experienced difficult circumstances and been left in great need. It's a word that describes people who are vulnerable. The circumstances of life have left them hurting. And here's what James says. Genuine worship is seen in how we relate to those in need. James mentions two groups. Again, not an exhaustive list. But he mentions orphans and widows. Why would he select those two groups in this context? Here's why. Because in the first century when James was writing this... There was no more neglected group in society than orphans and widows. Orphans and widows in the first century were literally desperate. They were the neediest class of society in the first century. In the first century in the Roman Empire, there were no government programs. There was no such thing as life insurance. None of that existed for orphans and widows. They were totally abandoned and left crushed and helpless by life. And James is teaching us that our involvement in in, in their distress is more than simply making a donation. James says we are to visit the orphans and the widows. The word visit is a word that means to, to check on the condition of, to care for the needs of. It means to personally get involved in the lives of the most vulnerable in our community with the purpose of understanding their needs and seeking to meet them. Did you hear that? James says, if my worship is genuine, if I got the real thing, one of the ways you're going to see the grace of God manifested in my life is I'm going to be moved to get involved in serving the least of these in society. Let me give you a life application for us at Hope Church. Caring for the most vulnerable people in our community is not an option for Hope Church. It's the obligation of Hope Church if we're to be conduits of God's grace in the city. If what we have happening here every weekend when we gather to worship is the real thing, let me tell you how the city will know. They will experience the grace of God through our lives as we serve and engage the most vulnerable in our society to meet their needs and walk with them.
because of what James is teaching us this weekend, i got something exciting that I want you to wrap your hearts around. We have an exciting announcement that we want to share with you. And to do that, I want you to watch this quick video. The experience of the grace of God in our lives always results in the expression of the grace of God through our lives towards others. Hey church family, I'm Chip Riggs, the lead pastor of Mobilization and Sending. Since our church was planted in 2001, we have aspired to see our city transformed by the gospel. And for us, that not only means there are more Jesus followers and churches in our city, it also means that the Las Vegas Valley is a better place to live as a result of God accomplishing his redemptive mission right here in our city. For two decades now, we have served, loved, and invested in our city in countless ways. But in 2017, as a church, we asked a very important question. When we look back a decade from now, what is going to be different in Las Vegas because Hope Church exists? In response to that question, we launched several strategic initiatives to seize the opportunities before us to engage the vulnerable in our city. And for several years now, ministries like Fostering Hope and Purchased have made lasting differences in our community. Today, we come to another milestone as we seek to be an expression of the love of God to our city. In response to the clear command of scripture and with a deep burden to see our city transformed by the gospel, we are officially launching The Hub Las Vegas as a continuation of the vision God placed in our hearts from the very beginning. So, what's The Hub? Well, I'm glad you asked. I want to introduce you to Cassie Hammett, our city strategist, to share more about The Hub. Hey church family, today is such an exciting day. The Hub is a family of Hope Church Ministries working together as a united front to serve the most vulnerable in our city. The Hub is on a mission to give everyone in Las Vegas access to a restored life. We connect people to live the restored life of a Jesus follower and we do it through rescue, relationships, resources, recovery, and reconciliation. A clear way to think about the function of the hub is to think about a train station. A train station is the hub of transportation. People come to the station for trains and trains come to the station for people. In the same way, the hub Las Vegas is the connector of people in need, the vulnerable, and those who can meet the need, the body of Christ. So what that means is we cannot do this without you. So moving forward, our primary city engagement efforts will be carried out under the umbrella of the Hub Las Vegas and collectively we will share in the mission together of meeting the physical and spiritual needs of people all across the Las Vegas Valley. I want to share with you the ministries of the Hub Las Vegas as well as introduce you to the leaders of each ministry. Fostering Hope serves foster families, bio parents, and children in foster care. Our goal is reconciliation in full restoration. We want to see families waiting on children instead of children waiting on families. The heart of Purchased is to engage the body of Christ here in Las Vegas to walk alongside survivors of sex trafficking and exploitation while they're on their journey of healing and restoration. The Lovewell Center serves people experiencing homelessness and poverty through an empowering model that encourages earning and participation. We truly believe that housing does not solve homelessness, that building healthy relationships, growing in Christ, healing and full restoration is the vehicle that drives you home. Cultivate empowers the next generation through access to relationships, resources, and reconciliation. 
cultivating healthy families, safe communities, and thriving educational systems. We believe a critical part of effectively serving the vulnerable in our city is to establish ministry centers across the valley where the gospel and the vulnerable intersect. We're currently praying and working in partnership with the North American Mission Board to identify potential locations for our future ministry centers where people will be served, led to Christ, trained for the ministry, and experience hope. Church family, these are exciting days in the life of Hope Church, and it is a step that we are all taking together. So we wanna invite you to join us in two ways as we officially launch The Hub Las Vegas. First, we want to invite you to pray. Here at Hope, we believe that prayer is the work. We don't pray before we work, prayer is the work, and then God works. We are asking you to join us this week in praying for our city. We have created a seven day prayer guide for you to use as you pray, and it's available in a digital and hard copy format. Second, we want to invite you to serve with us at the Hub Las Vegas. Due to COVID, we are not at full capacity in terms of ministry opportunities, but we do have ways that you can be a part of what God is doing through the Hub Las Vegas right now. If you have any interest in being a part of what God is doing through the Hub, scan this QR code and please let us know. As followers of Jesus, let's engage our city. Church family, let's love our city. Hope Church, let's share in the mission together, right here in our city. Amen. So here's what that is. That is a platform that God's allowed us to create that allows us as the church to be mobilized and living out what real authentic worship looks like. Authentic worship isn't measured by how loud we sing on Sunday. It's the difference that it makes in our lives on Monday and the way that we serve our city. So there's an opportunity for you to begin to engage in living out this real authentic expression of worship. She mentioned two things in the video and I want to encourage you to do both of them. I want to encourage you to get that QR code. You're going to see signs as you leave everywhere with that QR code. Get that QR code, use your smartphone, get that, and we'll get in touch with you about how you can begin to be mobilized, but also, we want you to pick up one of these prayer guides. If you don't want to pick one up, you can get it digitally online, but as you leave today, you're going to be able to get one of these prayer guides, and also, we're going to do something else. When you leave, and honor the real thing, everybody gets a can of Coca-Cola. Now, here's the deal. We don't want you to drink this for seven days. I want you to put this somewhere as a prominent reminder for seven days to pray. I mean, we've got a very detailed prayer guide that we want to ask you to seek the heart of the Father with us. Why? Because serving the most vulnerable in our city is not an option for Hope Church. It's the opportunity. It's the obligation of Hope Church to join in God's activity in meeting these needs. So you're going to put this in a, in a place of prominence where it's going to be a reminder for you to grab this prayer guide and pray. At the end of the seven-day prayer guide, celebrate. Crack the Coke open and enjoy that that Coca-Cola together because authentic worship is revealed in the people that we serve. And I hope you notice in the video, we're actually in the due diligence period right now at purchasing our first multi-million dollar ministry center here in the city. Hopefully, we'll be coming to you very soon with that announcement where we'll be opening the doors of a center in the middle of our city to begin to serve the most vulnerable people in our city. Why? Because we're to be conduits of the grace of God through our lives into the lives of others. Last thing I'll say is this. 
Authentic worship is revealed in the things we say, in the people we serve, but lastly, in the life that I live. Did you hear what James said? And to keep oneself unstained by the world. Here's what he's saying. Authentic worship should result in attractive living. Others should see something in us that is so different from the world that they are drawn to the saving grace of Jesus. You know one of the real tragedies as we look back on 2020? Many so-called believers live just like the world. Here's what I mean. The world faced a pandemic and the primary response was fear. You know the sad reality? A lot of believers live the same way. The primary response to COVID was fear. There were economic problems and the primary response of the world was greed. How am I going to get mine? And unfortunately, that was the way a lot of Christians responded. We saw politics and the world responded with division. Unfortunately, same thing happened in a lot of churches. Division. Social media, you know what we saw in 2020? A lack of complete self-control. Unfortunately, that wasn't just the world. That was us too. Here's what James is saying. We got to face the same stuff the world does. Pandemics, politics, social media, economic downturn, all that stuff. We got to face it too. Here's the difference. We've experienced the grace of God in our lives. And authentic worship should reveal a changed life. Others should see something different in me as I live in the midst of those very same circumstances. I'll close with this quote by a man named Robert Lewis. wrote a powerful book called The Church of Irresistible Influence. Listen to what he said. The world is tired of the church impersonally talking it down and chewing it up. What the world waits to see is whether what we have is better than what they have. Just think what bridges we could build. If we truly followed the example of the New Testament church, we would go beyond being seeker-sensitive to a new frontier of being community-admired. We would be known not just by the corner we inhabit, but by the city with which we interact. And people would be drawn to God, not because of the weekly show in our churches, but by the irrefutable lives we incarnate. And that's what James says the real thing looks like.